When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It is Henry Zamoda, and I'm joined by Danny Abdeljabar right now. How's it going, my young sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself, man? I'm doing very well. It is the uh, it's it's Derby Day. Derby Day. Derby Day. It's a couple. It's a couple uh, national holidays right now. It's the Kentucky. It's the the Derby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it is uh, May Fourth Day. May the, the fourth, fourth be with May you. The f- it's the the Star Wars dork, yep holiday where everyone dresses up like a stormtrooper or Darth Maul if you're a, a real big weirdo or. or a... <laughs> it, it's um I make fun of the the me and my my roommate um my roommate's a really big Star Wars dork and I'm a so really big I'm a really big he, I, he's the biggest Star Wars dork I've ever met in my life like he has a framed picture of R2D2 on his wall all right I'm not that dorky <laughs> um he has he, he reads all the books he read all the comics he watches he's an adult who watches the Clone Wars show the, the on, cartoons yeah the cartoons and all the other ones he does uh uh, just just a massive you would never know too because he doesn't seem like he would be that star wars dork material but he's a star wars dork um we got into a big argument last night and i don't even know who's right or wrong i, I think he might be right but i said that the game of thrones universe is larger than the star wars universe and we got into like a really really big argument over it like i was like the game of thrones universe has is more there's more intellectual property of the of the game of thrones universe and he's like there's no way that there's more intellectual property for the game of thrones universe there's no way dude i'm on, star I'm on, wars i'm on i'm on your 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 roommate side dude uh, no he's... he's definitely right when i thought about it because <laughs> because star wars has been around since the 70s and they've had all the, they've they've written so many books and they've written so many it, it's, it's not even that let's just let's just go into the lore and, and be like okay cool we have westeros we have essos and we have and southos or whatever southeros in fucking star wars we have galaxies like yeah. a whole galaxy worth of shit you know like how far can you go in Game of Thrones? Not but, very. But, but here's here's the thing with Game of Thrones, though, as far as the main story. So Game of the Game of Thrones world exists. I'm gonna nerd out a bit. So um, Westeros in the in the, in the Game of Thrones, it's twelve thousand years old, and, and they count that the twelve thousand mark begins when the first men um, arrived through a land bridge in Dorne. Right. And arrived in arrived in De- uh, Westeros, and then they engaged in war with the first children, mm-hmm. uh, the children of the forest. The children so, of the forest, and mm-hmm. they got into a big war, and they eventually became allies because they had to fight the the White Walkers. And the, the children of the forest actually created the White Walkers to fight the first men. But later down the line, that like the first men, they 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 uh, they basically. Wait, I think you might be getting this confused. I no, think I'm the- not. No, no, no! I think the first men come from the north. The Andals come from the south. No, they both come. They both come from the from from um, uh, Essos. Like humanity and in Game of Thrones, it starts in. No, Essos. I, I know they. I know they both do. I think, but the people who crossed that land bridge down in the south, I think they were the Andals. No, excuse me. Yeah, they were the Andals. The Andals. The Andals. Now I'm really gonna dork out. The Andals. They arrived where the Vale is. Mm. So you know where the Vale is, and yeah, like the yeah. East. if you look at the Game of Thrones map and the Fingus, um, 
Yeah, the fingers. That's where they arrived, and that's why the 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 Knights of the Vale, like the Vale, that's the most heavily populated pure blood Andel Andal's place in the Game of Thrones universe. Like Jorah um, the Andal. Yeah. Well, Jorah Jorah is actually a first man. They just call him Andals because the Dothraki don't really know any. You know, like they just think that everyone's an Andal because that was the most in, recent invasion. But what what's really interesting about Game of Thrones and that whole universe is that. They actually, George R. R. Martin is a is a student of history. Um, that, mm. That's the first thing you need to take into account. And he really based Westeros off a oversized England. So what he did is that he, if um, Westeros is about the size of South America, that's what he says, and he really just kind of exaggerated a lot of the things that were going on within England. It's also the, like upside down too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He exaggerated a lot of the wars that were going on in England in, in like the 15th century, 14, you know, the 15th, 16th century. So that's really a lot where that all the conniving and politicking comes from. And then Essos is supposed to be Eurasia. So like I think it is um, everywhere from, you know, Turkey to to China. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he. um West, and Dor- like Dorne is man. definitely Spain. Let's be real. Yeah, Dorne is Dorne is one hundred percent based off Spain. He said it himself that they they filmed the Dorne Dorne sections of the show in Spain. What what they did, which was really interesting, was that they really when you look at the first man migration in Game of Thrones, like when the first men they they migrated over, and then the Andel, the the uh, migration later, it was like six thousand years later. That that completely mimics. Uh, you know English history, like the 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 history of the Britain Islands, because yeah, the War they, of the Roses, I think it was called, right? Well, just like the migration itself, because mm-hmm. I think the north, the Northerners, what they're supposed to represent, they they're they're the men of the first, they're the first men, like they're they're the pure fierce men. They're supposed to represent the Celtics, mm-hmm. you know, like the the Celt, but you know, the first settlers in in that area in in, uh, in England. And then the Andals are supposed to represent the Anglo-Saxons who later invaded it. Because, you know, England has been invaded a million times. You know, the right. Celtics, the, 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 the Anglo-Saxons, the Normans, they've been invaded a bunch of many times. Like, all of Europe has been invaded a million times. Like, it's such a diverse... If you, if you looked at DNA, like, the, Europe would probably be the most ethnically diverse place on the entire planet just because the pure amount of just invasions and ancient peoples migrating through and throughout Europe. So it's super interesting that he kind of based uh, the Game of Thrones universe off those migrations specifically into the UK. So it's really cool. It's, it's, it's just really cool. And, like, you can't help when, when like, looking at Game of Thrones – um, to see all the different parallels between between that and, and actual history, um, he, the guy's brilliant, and, mm-hmm. and it's really cool. I'm just nerding out like right now. He needs to hurry up and write those goddamn books, though. Jeez, dude. All right, we'll get into this later, but I I, I think it's it's really sad that George R. R. Martin can't. They don't have the source material to work off the new episodes uh, because George R. R. Martin is such a freaking just brilliant fiction writer that yeah. it's it's just we'll put a pin in that we'll talk about game of thrones after all right after let's get into the topic. real topic all right yeah. i don't want to bore you with the dork fest right here but i just had to have an open up we're talking about china today china 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 um we are talking about uh basically you know what's the status right now where 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 does the u.s um where, where does u.s foreign policy stand with china how do we look at it what what's what are the implications in the future? Um, I think the good question to lead off and set the tone of the show would be, um, is China a foe or is China a competitor? Danny, I know that you have some, some insight on that. Yeah, definitely. So, so you sent me today uh, a pretty long press conference um, uh, talking about the uh, recent China report, which the U.S. military um, produces every year, to talk about um, basically what, what what's China up to, what are they doing, you know, what are we doing in response, things like that. And one point that really struck me that I think is really really important, especially for the context of the show, is that China is a competitor to us. They are not a foe. They are not our enemy. And and the U.S. goes to great lengths uh, to make sure that you know the world and especially China understands that we're not 
we're not enemies. We're not we're not adversaries. We don't use that language when we when we speak about China. We want to encourage competition amongst our countries because competition is good, as we know with capitalism. Um, but uh, you know, despite a lot of the things that we're going to talk about in this show, um, you know, including you know military expansionism, um, uh, 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 weapons technology, uh, and, and a number of other things, you know, that might seem on the face of it aggressive. I think it's important to note that China is just a competitor of ours. They're they're not, you know, they're not in any way, you know, uh, we, we don't see them as a as a existential threat. Um, and I think that's super important to start with. They're not the White Walkers, you know. Right. No, I, I think that's important to point out. Is like, yeah, we, we have we're competing with China right now in business. We're competing with them, even in in, in foreign investment. We're competing right. with them in a lot of different categories. But um, right now, as the U.S. looks at it, the U.S. does not look at China as a enemy. They don't look at them as a as a as a threat to security or any any way like that they see them as a compete they see that they are just are competing they're a competing interest group really in in you know u.s endeavors around the world and, and mm-hmm. to be more specific um probably u.s endeavors in in the pacific um in the pacific ocean that's right. the south pacific really probably would be the most mm-hmm. um just because the u.s has so many bases over there and um they have their own interest as well but china's huge and china is kind of a bully state at the same time a little bit um china China, China is does a lot of all right. Let's just brush away all the human rights violations that go on in the country, like having surveillance, you know, mass surveillance, mm-hmm. having concentration camps in That's western right. China, mm-hmm. having um, um, you know, so, social credit scores, throwing oh, people man. in jail, journalists yeah. in jail. Um, it, it's not a good place for human rights and for freedom. No, for economic freedom, it's surprisingly probably more economically free than the U.S. That's right. However, in and as far as personal freedom, just there, there's a, there's literally a social credit score that ranks you, and I, the question can really be asked about the social credit score: is is this a way to, to, um, to, to provide additional surveillance by having tattletales that will do things like you know the Soviet Union used to do to, to give rankings, and or is it a way to create an indulgent system where people because you can actually get out of your low yep, you ranking. can pay you can pay out of it right and we talked about this in a previous episode I don't know if we still have that up but uh, if you're not already subscribed to patreon you'll definitely get access to that as well yeah buddy but yeah um I think it's important to carry out those roles China does not care China does not have a good human rights record but right now as far as and internationally as well, um, China is engaging in a lot of bad practices that are kind of, um, you know, it really actually depends on who you ask because um, the big the big project right now that most of you are probably aware of, or, or you know, there's the two big projects that are going are on are the Made in China project, mm-hmm. um, which right. they, which is you know that, that that's more internal where they want to create more technology and become a leader in, in tech field and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the big one is the Belt and Road Initiative, and and, and what they're doing there is that they're trying one road, to create one, belt. Mm-hmm. one road one belt. They're trying mm-hmm. to get port access to all these countries so they can basically make uh, maritime maritime routes and shipping routes, and and not only that as well as uh, uh, land routes to ship china made products because um if everything goes by sea which what is like the current of what they do right now most of chinese products are shipped out of their ports it takes about 30 days to ship something from one country to another country especially mm-hmm. in the western hemisphere right um or at least to, into europe they want to be able to have a way to shorten that and make that to make a road system that will that will that they'll be able to kind of control and, and push out their their Chinese uh, products they're, that people they're trying consume. to build the modern day Silk Road. Is exactly, what is mm-hmm. exactly what they're doing, and, and, and it's that's why they have so much interest pride. in those Middle Eastern countries. You know, um, like like Afghanistan, for, for example. Um, they're they're trying to exert some influence there so that they can create this new Silk Road. Yeah, and another thing to point out is that China also does engage in um, very shady debt uh, lending um, activities. So very predatory lending, yeah. Predatory lending activities where they lend out money that they lend out money for infrastructure projects that people cannot actually pay back. Right. Depending on who you ask, though, like there's a lot of people, and I just read this art, this piece 
um, I forget where I read it from. I think it might have been in like foreignpolicy.com or something like that, where um, they were interviewing a bunch of Serbians and, and, and people like in Serbia, there was actually a lot of positivity over the project because the infrastructure and the debt would create more jobs. But meanwhile, the country's in massive debt to China. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess every country's in massive debt to China when you think about it. Yeah. But <laughs> it, it's just an interesting dynamic. Depends on who you ask, would probably have negative connotations or positive connotations. For the, I think the average person right now, uh, for, their, for the immediate future, they probably would like it. Um, but in the long run, um, having your country in crippling debt and having these predatory lending schemes on your country are probably going to screw a lot of things up economically for you in, right. in the long run. But so, all right, so let's not the, get too – yeah, let's, yeah. Let, let's move on. Um, so um, the big thing to take note is that um, China has increased its, its military spending. That's and, right, um, huge. This, this, this is um, – this has been a really big uh, incline over the past couple of years. Uh, so typically, the biggest spenders, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, U.S. is always number one. We outspend right. everyone as far as military. As we our, we outspend our, the next 10 countries combined. But, that, but and that's still true of today. Yeah. Uh, typically, number two, Russia is always in that two spot. Um, but now we see that China is in that two spot. Uh, right. Russia, I believe, is at number four. Um, with Saudi Arabia being number three, uh, and Saudi Arabia is number three, obviously, because actually, they're just, in war. Actually, just looking at this graph now, uh, they're actually number six, believe it oh, or not. So let's let's, let's run through it, right? Okay, so go. as of 2017, uh, because this is the website that I got, and that was the numbers that I was able to find. Uh, as of 2017, United States at $597.2 billion, giant box. Um, China at 228 Two billion dollars, so a sizable chunk, uh, and then surprisingly enough, Saudi Arabia at sixty nine point five billion dollars. Which you know, when I first saw it, surprised me, and then just after thinking about it critically for a second, made total sense. Uh, you know, especially with the war in Yemen going on right now, they definitely need a military spending um, to get that done. Closely following them is India at fifty nine point eight billion dollars. Then, believe it or not, France at $56.3 billion. And finally, Russia with $55.3 billion. Uh, And then it it rounds out after that with the United Kingdom, Japan, Germany, and South Korea. And those are our top 10 military spenders in the world. Yeah, I guess I should have have known that. um, That France always has a really big military budget as well as uh, India. Because India is another country that's like always kind of on the verge of war <laughs> yeah um, so um i guess russia is a lot more resourceful with their with with their budgets and, and how they spend their money uh because uh, i mean that's just what their economy warrants um all right so china is is increasing a lot in their in their military their military budget has jumped um, that's right why do you why do you think that's so well I mean, there's a number of reasons that we'll go over over the, the the course of the episode here, but I think what's also super important to point out about their budget is that we're talking about official Chinese defense budget um, like statements. So what China has said that they have spent. Uh, however, you know, military spending in general is kind of a loose term. You know, so like the question would be if uh, if you build out some, I uh, if you go to the South China Sea. Uh, or the East China Sea, where they're having a lot of, you know, kind of conflict with the rest of the world. Like, for example, in the Spratly Islands, and you build up a, you know, like a, a manufactured island um, so that you can, lay, you know, stake a claim to it. Is that military spending or is it not, right? So there are different, um, there's not a whole lot of consensus in, in the world community about how much they're spending. But what's important is that there are other estimates that put China's spending at even higher than what they're what they're claiming to have spent. And it might make sense for China to kind of lowball their their spending numbers, right? Um, I, I think that's you know just pretending like you spend a little less so that people sleep on you, you know, uh, and so they're not t- taken as a threat. But I'm sorry, I didn't directly answer your question. What are they spending the money on? Um, a whole lot of shit. <laughs> Everything from, you know, creating brand new fighters, uh, jets, that is, uh, to, you know, building uh, aircraft carriers, uh, which they're kind of trying 
trying to jump into now uh, to you know submarine technology and those are just the military tech applications but also on uh, a lot of other things like, for example, South and East China Seas are in dispute right now. So uh, they're spending a lot of money to basically prop up those regions so that they have like a, a strong military foothold in them. Uh, and they're even taking a look at the Arctic uh, and they're they're having a lot of um, uh, activity up there, uh, which the rest of the world is also uh, eyeing the Arctic. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but that's the basic giant hemispheres where they are. And then I guess you could maybe lump in some of their um, investment projects, you know, in uh, the, the Middle East, uh, Central Asia, um, even South America, Africa. Uh, unclear about whether or not you want to categorize that, uh, but they're definitely spending money to, to exert influence in those places, both for economic and um, some people might argue military um, uh, reasons. Yeah, and we were talking about this before we, you know, we, you know, in a, in a preview of this episode, that um, China still, China still kind of looks at the U.S. as they they still kind of freeload off the U.S. military. That's right. Um, and the reason I say that is because so the U.S. has a million bases in the Middle East. Um, they understand if China is going to be investing in the Middle East, which is a very volatile area, there's a lot of war. Right. If you're going to build out, a road in Afghanistan. You, you never know when a country in the Middle East is going to erupt in war. Right. Um, it can happen in any time in reality. Like look right. at 2012. Right. Uh, look at the Arab Spring. Like just war just broke out in all these countries and you know you want there to be some type of police force there which they look as the u.s to be like kind of the guys who are managing or policing these areas around um they can invest in countries like oman and they can invest in countries like saudi arabia and they can invest in even countries like israel uh, there's a lot of investment going from china into israel um, they can invest in these Middle Eastern countries, and they know that U.S. security will provide it will the U.S. military will provide security for their investments. That's so right. it's something that's really interesting. But at the same time, China is also um, developing um, a lot, specifically in their navy and also in their fighter jets. Um, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about because we did an episode on their on the Chinese navy. That's right. Um, maybe, maybe do you want to start off by talking about um, some of the aircraft carriers that they're developing, or do you yep. want to go into their fighters first? Let, let's do the aircraft carriers, and then we'll, sure. we'll jump into the fighters. So, what I find funny about um, China and their navy is that um, they didn't—they haven't really placed a whole lot of, of attention to their navy uh, up until very, very recently. Uh, and you know, obviously, when we look at you know the military strength of the United States, like the one giant thing that we have that many countries just do not have access to is nuclear-powered supercarriers. You know, these are like basically floating islands that are you know a, a mile long and have like five thousand crew members and hundreds of planes, and basically we can project power anywhere in the world whenever we want because we have a floating you know, airfield, uh, where we can put ordinance over any country at any time. Right. And, you know, due to maritime law, you know, international law, like you can operate, I think it's up to 14 miles from the coast of any other, uh, uh, country. And that's like, a you know, that's international water. You're good to go. You can, you can be there, but 14 miles is nothing for, you know, uh, for an airplane to cover. They can do that in seconds, you know, like, like really, really quickly. Um, so, uh, China obviously is like, all right, shit, well, we don't have any aircraft carriers. And the funny thing that we talked about in our episode about supercarriers is that they acquired an old uh, Russian um, uh, aircraft carrier through some nefarious means. They pretended – they set up like a shell corporation. They uh, they went to um, uh, uh, Ukraine uh, who had this uh, uh, old you know Soviet um, aircraft carrier and they were like, hey, yeah, we want to buy it because we're going to – build a casino with it and it turned out to be the the um <laughs> the chinese government uh and it's funny because you know they're they're setting up this um this aircraft carrier and and since they purchased it with like less than uh less than straightforward um intentions uh nobody's helping them with it right so they have to learn how to both retrofit it to be 
you know, uh, up to date and modern, but also their pilots have to figure out how to f- land a plane on a on a damn aircraft carrier. Like nobody's teaching them how to do that, so it's it's pretty interesting. But they're investing a whole lot of money into building their own uh, because the one that they purchased is is pretty outdated and 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 very limited in that respect. I believe that they're shooting for their second one very very soon. Um, and that's important because especially with all the uh, conflicts going on uh, in the South and East China Seas, uh, you know, and of course with Taiwan, you know, they need to be able to project their military power uh, in places that is not on the mainland. There's only, you know, you can only fly so far in a jet, you know, uh, by yourself. So uh, an aircraft carrier is a really easy way to, to project power. What's interesting is that, so that China, that, uh, it's a there's a funny story surrounding that the purchase of that of that uh, aircraft carrier. It mm-hmm. was it was a casino. Uh, they said it was they were purchasing it to create a casino. That's right. Ship, yeah. and it was complete bullshit. Yeah, it was just the Chinese government, and and it's hilarious because like that would be a massive casino. Can you think about it? Like aircraft carriers are massive. It'd be a huge ass casino. Where well, I mean, China they gamble a lot. What's the big? What's the the gambling capital Macau. of Asia? Macau. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who who uh, who she used to work as a um, as a representative of uh, Macau, like the tourism borough uh-huh. of of Macau, and she was like the lead marketer. <laughs> so she would she represented the U.S. So she would go travel back and forth to China and uh, to the Macau, and. She would she would be like an ambassador of goodwill in the U.S. So she'd have all these events of like <laughs> why you should why you should visit Macau. I'm saying that right? Macau is it Macau uh, or Macau? Uh, Macau. Uh, it's that's that's interesting. And and Macau formerly was a uh, a Portuguese territory, right? The Portuguese had conquered it. That's why it has the name Macau. It's very Portuguese, um, but it's beautiful. It's like it's like Vegas on steroids. Like it's nuts. Like think, it's crazy. It's much my f- my friends would make fun of her, but like, why would I want to go to Macau? And then she'd be like, "It's the biggest gambling capital in the world." And then they'd be like, "Sign me up, let's go." <laughs> yeah, so different ga- different gambling though. It's like a bunch of guys like you know playing Russian roulette, like uh, mahjong, <laughs> mahjong. <laughs> just I just picture a bunch of um, plinko <laughs> chi- Chinese businessmen uh, chain smoking um, and yelling on yelling on their phone. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's what I picture too, but it's a yeah. beautiful city and it's, it, it's that's it's that's awesome. flush, that's flushing New York by the way. Yeah, if you want if you want to have an, <laughs> if you want to see flushing New York, that's one of the Chinese businessmen yelling on their phone in front of off uh, off track betting, <laughs> <laughs> which is by the way legal now. Didn't uh, um, didn't we just uh, get that win? We can we can um, we can sports bet now. That's a thing. Yeah, it's a big it's a big win, and um, gambling is okay in my book as long as you don't abuse it yeah it's fun to gamble but if you abuse if you have if you have problems with gambling problems dial 311 (laughs) Um, gamble your money with me i'll make you a million dollars if you have ten thousand dollars to invest right now in our studio gear and our live feed then we'll make you a billionaire overnight we're gonna compete with crtv we're gonna compete with uh crooked media we'll compete with who else will we who are the other big podcasting networks Podcasting, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan doesn't have a net. Well, I guess he's the Joe Rogan Network, but he's like pretty much independent. He does everything on his own. Uh, networks. I don't know. He's not on like he's not on like one of these uh, like crooked media that has like Pod Save America and all mm, these different yeah. things and stuff like that. That's our big. That's who we're trying to conquer. That's why you need to rate and review the podcast so we can conquer them. They Side still have note. like forty thousand more ratings than we do, so we need to catch yeah. up to them. <laughs> um, I would love. I would love to. That would be the dream to pass them on uh, in like the rankings on iTunes. That would we be will. really fun. We will. We will one day. Especially if you support uh, us on Patreon, by the way. Especially if you support us, give money. We need your um, money. <laughs> give money. <laughs> uh, no, only do it if you really like. We're not trying to pressure you. We're still yeah. going to issue free content. Yeah. Um, like we just want to. We want to just see uh, where it goes. All right. Um, so we talked about the aircraft carrier. So Maybe aircraft we can talk a carrier. Bit about that. Air, Aircraft carriers, all right, buddy. So airplanes now. Airplanes. So the J two fighter, that's the big one J- that they're J20, developing. J twenty, J twenty, or J J twenty fighter. Mm-hmm. What's so, the deal with that? So J twenty is 
kind of a clone of the Su-57, which is the the Sukhoi 57 by Russia, arguably one of the one of the best fighters in the world, uh, second only to the F-22 in my opinion, uh, which is the American-made one. And they, so this is a, a fifth generation fighter. We also have another awesome episode on stealth technology and stealth fighters uh, that you can watch for more context. Uh, but this plane, this J-20 fighter, wasn't planned on on being released anytime soon. And now we're coming to find out that they're accelerating that. Um, and this is uh, this is interesting um, because the thing about stealth technology and about stealth fighters and Gen Five. Gen 5 fighters. That is a myth? <laughs> no, it's real. I mean, the I, okay, the thing to point out to people who might not have uh, watched uh, you know, our video on stealth fighters is that stealth doesn't mean invisible, right? Like, you can still physically see it with your eyes, um, but stealth means that it, uh, that the plane itself refracts uh, radar in such a way that it doesn't get picked up on the radar screen, and they have a very small what is called a radar cross section, and that's that's the uh, estimated size of an object when captured by um, when captured by uh, uh, radar. So, for example, the F twenty two arguably has some of the best stealth, um, and it has a radar cross section of like a small insect. So that's uh, I mean this is a, this is a plane, right? It's it's massive. So on a radar, it looks like nothing, right? It doesn't even show up. Um, now these Su-57s and the J-20s probably have something closer to like a, the size of a table or something like that, which is still very small in comparison to a giant jet fighter. But that's really important because that means that they can slip in and out undetected. Um, but uh, what's interesting about this plane is that it's also a dogfighter. So they, they modeled it after the Su-57. Um, it's very possible that they might have stolen technology from them, and it's very possible that they might have stolen stealth coding and uh, engine, um, uh, the way that they mask the engines from the F-22s, which is pretty interesting because, you know, uh, we don't know how they might have gotten that technology, and the likelihood is that they probably got it from, you know, some of our, uh, some of the people that were, that were selling military weapons to, which is why we don't, give out our best stuff like we don't sell the f-22s um and want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more we answer your real world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news the nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And that's really important. But so they're getting so they're getting technology from people that were selling military equipment too. Yeah, evidently, you know, there's there's a lot of striking similarities to you know the the technology that they're the, using the rumor the rumor the rumor is and and I think the it rumor mill pretty. I I haven't confirmed this myself, but I've I've heard. Journalists that I follow say that Israel's the one that's selling them. This. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing a lot um, of that. Yeah, that's I actually have it myself, like looked and confirmed it. So I'm not saying it's fact, but I've I've heard from other journalists say that that's Israel's the one who's selling them that technology. Yeah, um, and it's troubling too because you know that the, the technology is pretty amazing. I mean, it can slip in undetected. You know, they can drop bombs wherever they want with impunity, and that's you know that's that's threatening now. In a in a one on one v one fight, there's no way that the that the J twenty is even going to come close to our F twenty twos. Our F twenty twos are fucking impressive. Uh, they fly faster. They get better ordnance, better technology in general. Um, but uh, they will be able to bully the people in their region with this with this jet, right? And I'm thinking people like you know the Philippines, you know in the in the South China Sea. I'm thinking people like Taiwan, just off their coast. They can definitely bully the shit out of people with this plane, and that's that's what's somewhat threatening about them 
put you know advancing this fighter so so much quicker than than everyone expected so i have a question for you um do you think that this is the main because japan has also increased its military budget a lot that's right we've talked about this the last time we spoke Uh uh-huh um they're investing they're buying f-35s um yeah but they really want f-22s that's what they want (laughs) there was an f-30 there was an f-35 uh crash recently yeah if i'm not mistaken in japan and um well it it disappeared yeah we we don't know where it is yeah, it just disappeared. We don't know where it Fucking was. Fucking Asian air, Asian airspace just has a tendency of making airplanes disappear. Yeah, it's it's weird. There's such big zones of just like nothing in like the Indian Ocean mm-hmm. where you can end up and you could just sink, and then there's no way that they're gonna find mm-hmm. a wreckage yeah. it, no, unless no it, it, in, unless it comes up on the coast of Africa, mm-hmm. um, Malaysia. Um, Flight ninety. Uh, what was the flight? The number? Malaysian Air. I forget the name, number, but the, um, the the Malaysian flight. The, one the that Malaysian flight. They said what happened. I think the theory is is that it was on its way to China. It was on its way to, I believe, Beijing, if I'm not mistaken. It was on its way to China, so it was going north, and it somehow got rerouted south, and then it went south into the Indian Ocean and just just. It, it 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 must it ran out of fuel because it was just not near any type of port any type of landing strip or any type of land uh, mass where they could land or even if they did land in an emergency um, like water landing they would have never been found because that's how desolate that area is it's probably where the F thirty five is and maybe <laughs> yeah, you'll probably. see maybe. Maybe you'll see it wash up on the coast of, of uh, Africa or something like that. It's a bad look for, for the United States. It makes it look like the F-35 is just, like, inadequate, which some people can argue. But I also think that, like, just user error is, is pretty big in a lot of this shit, too. So um, The F-35, listen, like, w- here's the thing with the F-35. Now, it's really expensive, and they made it more expensive than it had to be for political reasons. Right. That's my stance on it. Right. Now, if the... If the plane does what it says it does, um, if it's able to do all the multi-purpose activities and be an effective plane for all three branches of the military, right. and more specifically, if it's if it's supposed to do, you know, the reason why the F thirty five kind of stands apart is because it go it has that really big that processing power, right? So you right. confirm that it has that really computer. strong process. Yep. It's a flying computer, and like the new generation of pilots. You know they're not necessarily going to be dogfighting. Like they they don't see that. I don't think the U.S. military, the State Department, they they, they look at a lot of the world doesn't dog think fight. that. Yeah, yeah, they don't look as the U.S. the future of warfare being yeah. like uh, Tom Cruise in a Tomcat. Um, you know, I forget who he was in a dogfight with in the movie, but I don't think they see that as the future of U.S. of they U.S. See, it's uh, barbaric. It's like you know we don't ride yeah. in like the Dothraki into the <laughs> into the dead. You know, like that's that's. That's outdated silly. warfare, you know. They they kind of see it as like some type of like uh, floating. I, I if you play if you played StarCraft, I think this would yeah. be a pretty good uh, comparison. Like you're you're like a floating StarCraft machine where mm-hmm. you know you're flying you're flying and hovering around and you're controlling different drones from different areas. You have complete complete surveillance of like you know whatever the mile you radius have super, is. Super like high range long range missiles that you can fire. So that you can hit targets so far away that they didn't even know you were there in the first place. Like, yeah. Th- that's what the plane is supposed to be. And, like, yeah, that's obviously the, the military analyst and from, from um, you know, Navy, from the Navy and from Air Force. Are, they know much more of what, what it's supposed to be and can mm-hmm. give you a better analysis. However, like, if it's that, if that's the future of warfare, then I, I, I understand the purpose of the plane. It's just that the it, the fact that there's just so many issues. I think it just comes from the political reasons of trying to make the plane as right. imp- as expensive as possible. That's right. Because the thing costs over a trillion fucking dollars right yeah. now. So that is j- d- the design process. Yeah, so it's, like we're it's not even little, talking. It's, it's, <laughs> we're not it's talking about forty-seven states and nine different countries is how they set up the manufacturing it, for this plane. It's ridiculous. It, it, and Lockheed Martin, Lockheed Martin, it, it's. You know that planes in the past that have been built have been really good, um, but Lockheed Martin has this kind of weird, nefarious relationship as the primary contractor to the United States when mm-hmm. it comes to military aviation. 
And it, it's it's just kind of concerning because, you know, Boeing, even Boeing doesn't even really uh, make great military aircraft. They great they make great commercial aircraft. Well, they but, do. Uh, I'll stop you there. They do make military aircraft, just not they the, do, they do. just not the they sexy do. ones that we talk about, like fighter jets and shit. They like make that. like carriers and stuff like that. Yeah, they that. make like C one thirty gunships and shit. So it's yeah, it's it's um, they make planes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, but Boeing I see what you're is, saying. I see what you're saying. But Boeing's main, uh, if I was gonna imagine, actually, I actually don't know this to be completely honest. What their revenue comes from? Is it from state contracts or if it comes from uh, selling to airlines? But all right, that's that's the question for a different day. All right, so J two fighter, um, if it engaged in an F thirty five, would it knock it out of the sky? F thirty five probably. F twenty two definitely not. Okay. How about the older birds? How about like the well, I yeah, mean, the F we're, the older birds. Have... I mean, we're updating a lot of them. So like we have these uh, updated F fifteen Xs. Where we're gonna add some stealth technology to. I think the F 15s would probably hold their own for a little while. Um, maybe like retrofitted f-16s but yeah i mean it's it's a fifth gen fighter it's gonna do really well that j20 is gonna do well you're gonna have a bunch of people um complaining about the definition of fifth gen fighter uh yeah on this comment section yeah uh, because everyone debates that like oh that's not an f that's that's gen 4.5 hello (laughs) my stealth all right let's move on uh, <laughs> all right, all right, sign, all right, sign a cheat. All right, um, South China Sea, um, their outpost over there, they're getting pretty aggressive with yep. uh, man-made islands and, and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. the Spratly Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on over there? Yeah, so uh, I'd like to talk about the Spratly Islands. So, like, back in, I think it was 2015, Xi Jinping came over, you know, the United States and told Obama, he was like, yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're not interested in militarizing, you know, the Spratly Islands. That's not, you know... That you know, that's in the South China Sea, by the way. Uh, you know that we're not. That's not what we're doing. We're just you know doing some economic activity in the area because they have shipping lanes there, and that's it. You know we're not militarizing it. Come to find out, now in 2019, you know like years later, they are building man-made islands and laying claim to them. Uh, and part of that is like a like a legal thing. You know, so they built those islands, therefore that's sovereign territory for them. Therefore they can extend the international water range around that fake military installation um to 14 miles outside of that right so like they're just increasing their sphere of influence um but they're also putting a bunch of shit on there so like they're they're doing like anti-air uh weapons missile systems radar systems um uh uh airfields uh all kinds of all kinds of shit in this area and that's that i mean that's um that's concerning you know uh that that particular area is a big shipping lane for for pacific uh you know for the pacific um you know the eastern pacific economies uh and so it's it it kind of sucks <laughs> you know what they're doing over there because it's it's they're they're making it very difficult uh to to resolve uh it, you know uh, sovereign issues in the south china sea because they're putting all their military tech there they're basically like saying come and get it you know, Philippines, if you think this is yours, come and get it. And the Philippine Congress recently just just ordered their military to protect the South China Sea, right? So we're going to see some tensions rise there. And I know that the United States just sent a bunch of carriers over there um, and, and other uh, um, military naval vessels. Um, so we're ratcheting up the heat over there. And that's not to say we're about to go to war with China over the South China Sea, but what I am saying is that you put enough military weapons in a certain spot uh, that's contested, and you're gonna you're gonna cause some problems. I'm sure. I'm sure Japan likes this. Um, Japan again. We we were talking about how they're increasing yep. their military budget as well. Mm-hmm. And these countries that look at a lot of these countries in the South Pacific that look at them as a bully state, right? Uh, because China is they a are. bully state. Yeah, they are. Um, they're, without a doubt, they're looking to Japan about they're looking to japan as, as um you know somebody who will thumb their nose at china mm-hmm. so i think that's going to be an interesting dynamic that plays out the the future of uh sino-japanese relations um not to say that there'll ever be a war i don't i highly doubt that but i think that you'll see that 
the Japan will be continue to increase its military budget as well. Right. I mean, and, they could just point to the South China Sea and be like, hey, look, they said they weren't going to do this, and now they're doing this, and now they're mad close to us, and we're afraid, and we would like some better tech. And that's, I mean, they're one of the top 10 military spending. I mean, I, I mentioned it before. They're like eight or nine or something like that, but they're spending money. And and they're also spending money now on non-defensive, so offensive technology. Like, they really, really, really want F-22s because they see they see China and, and that J-20 fighter as a threat to them, and they want to be able to meet it head-on with, with a fighter that's that's equally powerful in the sky, more powerful in the sky. I don't blame them. I honestly don't. Yeah, and they could always... See, the thing about Japan is that um, they they have the big bases in Okinawa, mm-hmm. and a lot of the people who live in Okinawa are really unhappy with those bases. They yeah. don't want them there. Um, That's because that some of our troops might, might be doing some fucked up things in, in Japan. It's because here here's the reason. Like, I'm not trying to disparage people in the service, but like a lot when you have a bunch of 22 year olds and a if you have thousands of 22 year olds um, in one area. And just congregated one in one city, and they don't speak the language, and they do what twenty-two-year-olds do: they drink and get rowdy, and they wanna they wanna have sex. Um, it forms up prostitution rings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been there's been cases of people getting of of, of girls getting raped. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there were some really big cases in the '90s where there was a truck full of guys who raped. Um, a, uh, a young, I think it was like a twelve-year-old girl. That's fucked um, up. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a really messed up case. I think this happened back in '94. But there's always been kind of this tension between the the, the military in Okinawa and um, you know the people who live there, just because they see what the you know it's just like having a college town in there, and they don't want right. it. And I'm not saying that all of them are bad or anything like that. I'm just saying, and we're also not we're also not one out of the fucked up things that they've done. Yeah, either, right. I, I'm just saying that if you got if you got um, you know, one out of 100 soldiers, if, if he's a scumbag, then that's bad. Like, then that's probably right. going to rub off on the community, even right. if it's 99% of them are fine. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure most of them are fine, but there's you're always going to get some shitty guys, and right. they're always going to do engage in some bad behavior. So, um, it's well, I mean, that that kind of that, that kind of ratches up the tension, right? Because Okinawa is there for a reason, right? You know, uh, after World War II, Japan basically signed a bunch of treaties saying, like, we will not be offensive. We won't have like a standing military. We we just want enough like weapons and arms to defend ourselves if someone wants to try and fuck with us, um, and we'll let the United States take care of like our larger offensive forces. So that's why we have bases there. You know, so that Okinawa base, you know, that's that's our spring off point in case China or Russia or someone else or North Korea or someone like that decides to cut out a line like that's why we have that there. Um, but now that's causing trouble in Japan and all of these other players in, in the in the region are, are acting like, frankly, bullies. Uh, so they're like, hey, like, you know, we need to change our policy and we need to start spending more money and we need to get, acquire some some tech that'll be like. Hey, don't fuck with us. We've got F twenty twos, you know. So I, I totally see where this is going. I I don't think that Japan is being unreasonable in their requests and being unreasonable in their ramping up of military um, uh, spending. It does not appear, in my opinion, that um, that they are going to act aggressively in the region or or act, you know, uh, offensively in the region. Um, it seems to me like a defensive move. But hopefully, Japan never proves me wrong because that would be fucked up. Um, I I think I think mainly Japan's motive is to the th- the thumb thumb the nose at China so they can gain more influence in other Pacific con- in other countries in the Pacific. Right, but who, economic influence, not not ec- yeah, yeah, not, not imperial. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking about imperial Japan right here. Right. We're talking about like economic, you know, new world. Not new. I don't use the word new world order, but. Economic interest, investment, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's uh, let's get off this. Uh, let's go into um, the big, the big kind of like uh, elephant in a room of China and Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan. Taiwan. Yep. Um, all right. Um, give us a lowdown on what that, or, or give us the basic history of that. Yeah. So Ch- Taiwan used to be a part of China, 
and have since separated and they they consider themselves an independent state uh china thinks otherwise china still believes one china one one country like that's that's our shit um and the u.s has been i mean we've been on taiwan's side for the most part you know in in terms of like having them be a sovereign nation and and supporting them in that respect and and we have some loose um some loose like promises that we will defend taiwan uh, in the event of like a china um incursion um and what i find interesting is with china ratcheting up all of their military uh spending and posturing in the region uh we're now selling uh taiwan a ton of new military tech uh including M1 Abrams tanks uh, and uh, F-16 fighters, uh, some newly retrofitted F-16 fighters. Um, So we're definitely, I don't want to say that we're picking sides, but we're kind of picking sides, and I think we're going with Taiwan. But at the same time, like, our politics is super weird right now with China, so I'm I'm not super sure where we're going with that. All I know is that there is a strait between China and, um, in Taiwan, the, 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 the Taiwan Straits, and it's only about 180 miles wide. Uh, it's very, very important for economic activity, for shipping lanes. Uh, it is international waters, so, um, you know, the U- United States military has a, um, a position on it that they will willingly and freely travel that strait, right? So they'll send their ships through, they'll send our carriers through. Uh, but they also say that China totally has a um, the right to to you know move through that shipping lane as well. So China will send their military tech through it. Um, you know sometimes causes a little bit of of, of tension, but um, it's really really important that we keep that as international waters and that we don't start ratcheting up any any um, any military presence there because it is an important shipping lane. Uh, much like not as important as the Straits of Hormuz, for example, but kind of the same idea, right? We don't want to cut off any any of the the free motion of, of economic activity in the, in the area, and with China doing as much as it has been and ra- ratcheting up their military spending and their and and, and putting you know building fake uh, uh, islands with military tech on it, like I think it's kind of important that we watch out for Taiwan and make sure that they're not gonna yeah China can easily take that shit over if they really really wanted to, but I don't think they're stupid enough to do it. Yeah, I doubt they'll do that, but. Um... What so right now is it just mainly rhetoric and, and kind of saber rattling with Taiwan? Yeah, but it's also like you know money spending too. You know, so like they're spending money to China's spending money to like set up outposts all kind of like in the area, military uh, technology in the area, and at the same time Taiwan's buying more military equipment, and it just feels like it's it feels scary. I feel I feel like we'll be all right. Eventually, China will realize like, hey, we've we've towed the line a little too far we need to chill out like that's where i think this is headed um but for right now it, the tension is pretty high and and you know i think it's worth keeping a close eye on yeah it's interesting um that's kind of been that, that's been a hot spot for so long right now but i don't know i feel like it's gonna be i i i honestly need to know need to learn more about this but um if china I don't think there'll be any kind of engaged conflict there. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave, let's, I'll leave let's it hope at that, that I, that's the case. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Last thing, and then let's let's um, wrap this 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 sucker up. So um, the Arctic Circle. So something that I was re- something that I was reading in uh, earlier was that with all, with all this being said about you know U.S. and and China being competitors, um, there's cooperation with the U.S. and China in certain aspects. One of the aspects has to do with their Coast Guard. So the China, the Chinese Coast Guard and the American Coast Guard, they cooperate uh, in terms of catching illegal fishing activity. Mm-hmm. So most of them come from China, right. and they both have interests in preserving in preserving. Um, I guess environmental regulations or, or preserving uh, wildlife and fish in those seas. They don't want it to be illegally poached. Especially China, they feed. They have a diet of mostly fish, mm-hmm. um, and the U.S. has interest in that as well. So they cooperate on things like that. Um, 
so you'll literally see Chinese Coast Guards boarded on American ships to when they they you know arrest somebody who's illegally fishing. The Chinese person, the Chinese Coast Guard will go and they will arrest them and put send them to China to be prosecuted and you know put in a whatever camp, mm-hmm. a reeducation concentration camp. camp let's be real. Um, <clears throat> um, but in Arctic Circle as well. Um, so what what's what exactly is going up in the Arctic Circle right now between? Um, China and the U.S. I'm actually kind of not in the loop on this at all. Yeah, so I think it's important to talk about, you know, uh, why it is that we're even thinking about the Arctic right now. I mean, when you think about the Arctic, you're like, well, what the fuck could possibly be up there? It's just a bunch of ice. Well, actually, thanks to, you know, climate change, <laughs> uh, we're, we're seeing a, about a 40% reduction in, in, in sea ice uh, during the summer months uh, than what we normally see. Uh, and why that's important, uh, other than to point out like a, you know, like a hippie theory about like why we should care for our planet, which we absolutely should. Um, there's things happening now in the Arctic, um, that were previously un, unavailable. The first big thing is trade routes. So the earth is a globe. It is circular. Sorry, flat earthers. It's, that's not a thing. Um, when you Are need you to, sure? Oh, I'm totally sure on this one. Uh, when you need to go from point A to point B, you know, uh, sometimes it's easiest to go up and around instead of all the way across. Uh, and that's true of, of, you know, shipping routes in China, right? So if you look at airplanes and how they fly from, say, California to, to China, they're not going directly across the Atlantic Ocean, uh, excuse me, the Pacific Ocean. They're going actually up and over um, because that's actually the, the, the closest route. And now with a lot of the sea ice um, breaking apart uh, and and basically not existing anymore, that gives us a lot of brand new opportunities to be able to start shipping in a more effective way. Now, we were talking about China and their one belt, one road uh, and, and uh, you know, reopening the Silk Road. This is right in line with that, right? Um, it's basically saying we can find a faster way to get our goods from point A to point B through the Arctic. Uh, and we want to basically exercise our our um, economic activity through that. And so a lot of different countries are, are in it. And there is a um, basically what's called the Arctic Council. Um, and it's been around for a while. Uh, and China actually joined uh, in May of 2013 uh, as a permanent observer uh, because they, they basically wanted to uh, uh, be a part of this, even though they're not technically in the Arctic Circle, like they they have economic interests there. But a lot of different countries, like the United States, Canada, uh, Finland, Russia, you know, Sweden, Norway, places like that that border on the Arctic Circle, are all part of this council um, to basically maintain uh, maintain sovereignty in the region, but also to, to you know foster economic activity through it. Um, so that's the one thing, right? So shipping lanes. So China and the United States and a bunch of other countries are building a lot of these ships that basically break ice, break ice so that we could, you know, ship things through that ice, right? Uh, really, really important. Um, the other big thing is that now that the ice is gone, we're now noticing a bunch of resources there. I'm talking about oil is up there. There's like trillions of dollars of oil in the Arctic right now. That is untapped, and everyone knows oil, <laughs> war for oil, war for oil, like you like to say. You know, there's nobody lives in the Arctic, so we can just go and take it, basically. Uh, so a lot of different countries are scrambling to the, you know, to the north uh, to, to take advantage of the oil. But also there's huge, huge, huge reserves of gold, silver, platinum uh, that's just basically untouched. Nobody's developing there. And that's why a lot of countries, especially China, uh, are using this um using this uh, uh <laughs> using global warming to uh <laughs> um to gain some some money out of uh, which is i think super interesting now the threats there is that the arctic is kind of like the wild west you know um nobody nobody lives in the north pole you know uh nevertheless uh so technically it's everybody's um especially the people who border it uh and china's not in the arctic circle and nevertheless is is spending a lot of money uh and sending a lot of things up there and i think there's some threats of like chinese submarines and you know united states submarines like coming into conflict up there as well as russian submarines there's a lot of like a lot of shit going on up there last thing i want to say 
uh, not related to China, but related to Russia. Evidently, we found. A, do you know what a beluga whale is? A white, a white beluga whale. Uh, yeah, I heard that story that it was it was uh it had cameras on it. Or it had like it some. Was... It, all right, so it's a beluga whale, right? It's a white, beautiful whale. Maybe we'll show a picture of it now. And uh, it was. It seemed to be very friendly to people, and it was very well trained. And it's swimming around in the Arctic, and it had like a harness on it, like with like a camera and like some other like I don't know GPS. I don't know what the fuck is on it. But like evidently, the going theory is that this beluga whale was trained by the Russians, and it's a spy. <laughs> uh, and it's just like swimming around in the in the Arctic and shit, doing God knows what. <laughs> Um, but it would like freely go up to like ships and like they were feeding it and like petting it and shit. <laughs> super interesting. Um, it, it was friendly. Yeah, it was totally. So friendly. obviously yeah. it was. It came. It had human contact before. Right. It was trained. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that's that's really interesting. I saw that story on of, the harness. Uh, it said like you know Russian or something like I forget exactly what it was. It said something that basically said like product of Russia, like made in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was reading about that. That's 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 really funny. Um. Hey, like I, I couldn't tell you what what what's the strategy behind that is unless it's like whales have gone. They have gained such a level of intelligence that they can actually like knowingly collect and deliver intelligence <laughs> to the Russians. Uh, watch out for whales! Watch watch out for whales. Um, mm. They will. Uh, they they will. Um, if you touch it, you'll get malware. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, yeah, the, the Arctic is of extreme importance uh, now that there's, like, less ice up there um, for those reasons. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Um, I, I guess I want to just point out, so, like, so if you are looking at a map of China, so China. The, reason, the, the reason why this is part of the Silk Road extension is because, so it will go, if they can go north, from Beijing and then like over Russia and then past like over Norway and then down to like, you know, Belgium or France. So they are kind of like just making this really weird route that that's kind of unheard of up and over instead of all the way around yeah Yeah. up 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 and up and over instead of all the way around and um yeah it's really interesting that we're finding resources there but that's not surprising we're finding resources in alaska all the time we're finding billions of barrels of oil and, and off the coast of alaska frequently and it just kind of shows you that our level of hydrocarbons right now are pretty much at a level where we'll probably sustain like hydro hydrocarbons will be available probably for the next 10,000 years um that's what i've heard from a lot of experts that will there it's just so steadily available what's not available is just the labor it takes time to produce and refine that into oil and gas that can be used for utility um but I mean that will be developed as well as populations increase and people have more learning. No, I don't. Th- I don't think that we're going to be using oil for very much longer anyway. I mean, I think that we're going to be using it, but I, I just want to. I, I just want to make the the point that oil is not finite, so it's not like it will never go away. And I mean, oil oil is finite, but like we have so many. There's so many oil reserves that are being discovered that there'll always be oil that's going to be discovered. Um, I think that oil will be used in most countries probably until at least 2050, um, until countries start really developing nuclear power, until that's kind of ironed out. I'm all about uh, what Dr. Um, Zubrin said when he was on our on our show. Dr. Zubrin, um, uh, president of the Mars Society, was saying that you know we're making big strides in nuclear fusion, not fission, uh, which. I totally believe I've, I've been reading a lot of really awesome reports that that suggest that we're getting closer and closer by the day, um, which will make oil. I mean, it's not like we won't we'll stop using it altogether, but it'll be like, well, why are you using oil? We have fusion now. Hey, I'm all about I'm all about nuclear energy when we're making strides in it. So you I, almost had I a Freudian have, slip there. I'm all about the oil. <laughs> I, I I'm all I'm all fine. I'm all I'm fine with that with that progress. And and I I'm just for the best available energy at the time. That's that's kind of what I what I'm for. So when nuclear uh, fusion is fu- fusion right? fusion right fusion like like like, uh, like Vegeta and 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 uh, Goku fusing. <laughs> When that becomes the best source of energy, was that? When that becomes the best source of energy for the world, mm-hmm. then I'm I'm 100 percent down for it. Um, all right, so we are at how much time do we, are we on right now? Uh, we're on a, quite a bit, so I think this is a good wrapping point. All right, so 
Um, I wanted to talk about Game of Thrones for a little bit before we wrapped up, but Spoiler I don't know. I think we'll sa- I think I think we'll just save it for another level. We I already nerded out on Game of Thrones enough in the beginning, and I'm also <laughs> late to some. Um, some I'm late and I'm getting yelled at right now, but um. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining today. Um, it's always a pleasure doing these podcasts, and, and we really appreciate everyone listening. Um, so, uh, announcement: we have uh, a Patreon right now. Um, I will have the details of the tiers and all that um, in the description of this podcast. Most of you guys just listen on audio, but uh, we'll, we're going to be issuing incentives and things like that. It just helps us support the show. Obviously, the number one way to support the show, if you're on Apple Podcasts, is uh, you know rate and review. That's what helps our rankings, and that's what gets us more attention to. I'll say it, advertisers, and, and that's that's the goal. Um, to have advertising spots so we can deliver this content and we can get we can deliver and, more and we can deliver more of this content mm-hmm. with the monetary incentive of making better content and putting out more content um, because we want to be a you know we're we're an honest broker in information and and we want to make sure that we're getting we're continuing to give you um, honest information on geopolitics as well as history so um do what you can um i'll probably give more detailed instructions on how to do that um um, after the show and then uh we'll we'll uh wrap it up right here because i am getting a uh, earful or a textful for being late to a birthday party (laughs) (laughs) um all right peace guys see ya What's up, guys? Henry with Bro History. So, news, we set up a Patreon account. And in this Patreon account, we're going to be offering different incentives and and, uh, access to our archives, as well as access to behind-the-scene footage of us creating the show. Um, So, really would appreciate if you guys could, uh, I guess, support us on Patreon. Obviously, no pressure at all. We're still going to be delivering free content. Uh, but if you want to see behind the scenes and, and you want to get access to our earlier shows, uh, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. And uh, the link will be in the description of this podcast below. All right, guys. I love you. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.